totally football show at the World Cup. People say, ah, Brazil, carnival, sex, Pelé. Day nine, Shakiri is on tonight as Switzerland down the Serbs against Los Ticos. Brazil find the answer is Firmino, and so does the ref when Neymar wants a penalty. And in the afternoon, guilty feet ain't got no rhythm as Nigeria catch Iceland cold. Saturday, it's Group G, England's group, as Belgium take on Tunisia. And there's a double bill of Group F fixtures, South Korea against Mexico, and Germany, one game away from an early exit, taking on Sweden. It's the Totally Football Show, totally at the World Cup. And on board today, Jack Lang's back. Evening. James Horncastle's here too. Hello there. And it's a return for Tom Williams. Hello. Hi, Tom. So many excitements on this day nine. What did you like most? There was something to enjoy in all the games, I think. Um, I think probably Serbia-Switzerland uh, as the kind of main course, uh, a very even game that developed into this brilliant slugfest in the second half in the rain, uh, and then Shakiri racing away and scoring the winning goal. I think that was the one that stuck out for me. Yeah, Huge narratives elsewhere as well, though, with uh, Brazil, who looked in real trouble. Nil-nil with 90 minutes played, but, but rescuing that uh, at the death, Jack. Yep, looking a lot like they were going to stumble, but the only man stumbling in the end was the coach, Chicha. A little tumble <laughs> in excitement at the final whistle. I think they played a got-out-of-jail-free card there, right. for sure. And he's done a Gareth Southgate, hasn't he? He's injured himself. He was limping in the press conference afterwards, right. apparently. And then the other game today, the Nigeria-Iceland one, Nigeria throwing Brazil's great regional rivals, Argentina, a real lifeline. Nigeria beating Iceland, which means that Argentina aren't quite as out as, as many at all. No, and arguably the goals of the day by one player in particular, Ahmed Musa, both, Ahmed Musa. Both of which I think a lot of Leicester fans wishing, why weren't you scoring those kind of goals for us? Well, that's not the only club to be thinking that. <laughs> a quick check on the scores then on Friday in Russia. Group E, the early kickoff was Brazil against Costa Rica that finished 2-0 to the Celestial. Coutinho and Neymar, the scorers. Ahmed Musa with both goals for Nigeria in their Group D clash in the afternoon with Iceland and then back to Group E in the evening, the game in Kaliningrad between Serbia and Switzerland, which finished 2-1, featuring sensational goals, particularly this from Shakiri. Wow, what a finish. And if you haven't seen the goals from this game, listener, it is worth going and seeking them out because his little legs pounding away as he raced upfield on this glorious Swiss breakaway. James? No, and it was a wonderful move completely. They split um, Serbia in half with just two very simple forward passes. And uh, I think one of the great things about it was Shakiru is essentially free on goal from the halfway line. He's with a foot chase with, with uh, Tosic. And uh, Tosic doing everything to kind of claw uh, Shakiri down to the ground and that frame that Shakiri has. You mentioned he's got those little legs. Yeah, I mean, he, he has to. I think his, his, his stroke rate is about twice that of, of Tosic, no? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think you can see why he's called Power Cube. Is that something. what he's called? That is his nickname in Switzerland because, I mean, there is something cubic about his, mm. 
uh, you know, his whole musculature, if you like. And yeah, manages to keep his composure and finish um, between Stojkovic's uh, legs. Um, and a wonderful finale to a game. We've had some great ends to matches throughout the tournament, but particularly today with what happened in the Brazil game and obviously what happened in this one. Mm. And lots of subtext to it as well. Yeah, well, let's just go back a little bit on, on this game because it all began with a fantastic goal from the Serbs. Mitrovic, who'd missed some chances in Serbia's opener, but he certainly got hold of this chance in the first half. He did. He, I thought he was quite unlucky in the first game because the, the chances that fell to him were he was slightly off balance, maybe rushed himself a little bit. But here, this was exactly where he wants the ball served. Dusan Tadic turned his man inside out, put in a glorious cross. And yeah, it's kind of Mitrovic's meat and drink, really. That's now 13 goals in 15 Serbia starts, which is a phenomenal record, really. And from that point, it looked like Serbia had a great platform to go on and win. And I think they thought so too, because they were knocking the ball around in those early stages, at least, with a great deal of confidence, looking good every time they came forward, really. And you, at that stage, I was wondering how Switzerland would get back into it. And what got them back into it? How did it change, Tom? Well, it's hard to say, really. The game just became very open in the second half. As I said before, a real slugfest, a real back and forth. And I think... Switzerland just managed that a bit better than Serbia. Even before Shakiri got the winner, he'd had that shot from the right-hand corner of the penalty area that hit the post. Um, and they'd got into good positions in the first half, Switzerland, but were quite wasteful. I think we have to say that Serbia should have had a penalty in the second half. Um, I think of all the the bad VAR that we've seen at the tournament so far, that was probably the most that inexplicable was the worst decision. By VAR, yeah. by by, by, yeah. by very VAR. I mean, two two men, a I mean, Mitrovic saw... sandwich, basically. Yeah. Um, but obviously, they got away with that Switzerland, and then you know, Shakiri breaks through at the end, and and well, a fantastic equaliser as well from Granit Xhaka. Yeah. Um, and I think because he's got Valon Berami beside him or even behind him doing all the dirty work he's able to play a little bit more expansively we know that he can strike a ball beautifully we've we've not seen it that much with Arsenal but every now and again he just bangs on in from 25 yards uh, and it, it was quite a difficult ball to hit because it came from a blocked shot that Shakiri had had and the ball was running across him um, slippery turf as well and he absolutely leathers it past uh, Stojkovic um, and, and then that clearly gave Switzerland the impetus then to go on and impose themselves and win the game. Well this was a richly satisfying game to watch, a really meaty contest and and the context was interesting as well because no sooner had he scored than he wheeled away doing a, a double-headed eagle celebration which as I understand it is a, is a Kosovan gesture and that was echoed by Shakiri after he he grabbed the winner uh, which was obviously something that there's been a lot of attention about the fact that these Kosovan Albanian uh, players for the Swiss national side facing Serbia. Indeed, Sasha Gurionov reporting that fans were being searched when they entered the Kaliningrad uh, arena for the match, having to take their sweatshirts and, and, and jackets off to show that they didn't have any kind of pro-Kosovo messages on, on T-shirts underneath. So um, quite a gesture, that, for those uh, those Swiss players. It leaves, anyway, Group E delicately poised. Brazil are on four points. Switzerland also on four points, but with one goal less of goal difference. Serbia a point behind with Costa Rica there in last place with no points whatsoever. Brazil, who could have really been in trouble thus if they hadn't been able to break the deadlock. Jack, what would the mood have been like with 90 minutes played in Brazil watching this game? Oh, I could almost hear the knives being sharpened as that second half was wearing on. I think... 
Personally, I think they actually played rather well in that second half. It was mainly the finishing that was suspect. So the first half, they enjoyed a lot of possession. I think uh, over 300 passes, apparently the most in a first half since 1966 in the World Cup match. So this is against Costa Rica. Yeah, such was their dominance. But they weren't translating that into clear-cut opportunities. I think William, who was hooked at the break, wasn't really himself. Paulinho wasn't really getting into good positions. And then... Neymar, who I'll come back to in a minute, wasn't really doing much either. Second half, they came out with a greater sense of urgency. I think Brazil sometimes need that. They need to get the crowd cheering behind them. They looked good and they just created plenty of opportunities, but just seemed determined to waste them. And I think Neymar was more culpable than anyone for that. I don't think he had a very good game at all. We can talk about the penalty in a second. Yeah. But But just aside from that, he was making poor decisions. He didn't have the explosiveness that we expect of him. And it was very clearly a player uh, working his way back to fitness. I think he's still a long way from his best. Costa Rica were, were dug in and, and resolutely defending. And, and no one more than Kayla Navas, who had an extraordinary game in goal. Yeah, did well. But most of Brazil's shots were straight at him. So mm. the one that Neymar had that was perhaps heading to the roof of the net after the cross from the right was very much savable. The one Felipe Coutinho had was also right at him. Brazil were just fluffing their lines, really. So at 78 minutes, with tension really building now, and the the pressure, the sensation of a Brazil side that's already drawn their first game 1-1, Neymar goes down, kind of comically, but the referee points to the spot. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was a particularly ridiculous tumble by Neymar, no? Yeah, if you were being enormously generous, you might say that he was moving at a speed and changing direction in a way that the slightest of contact could have shifted his equilibrium. But I think that would be a massive injustice to Giancarlo Gonzalez, who the actual strength of the impact he made on Neymar was... He minimal. laid a hand on his on his jersey. Yeah. Uh, that With that, when the referee went over to check VAR, you still didn't... I don't think anyone expected him to, to change his mind. Uh, and, and Neymar, I certainly don't think... Uh, was was yeah. awaiting. It didn't go very down very well with Neymar. Who is? It's difficult to know what to think of Neymar in games like this because I think you can simultaneously hold the view that he is fouled an awful lot and could probably do with a bit of protection from from referees sometimes, while also thinking that the kind of victim complex he has and can develop really quickly over the course of one game is not going to do him or Brazil any favours at all. Mm. So the way he was reacting to the referee uh, late on after the penalty incident with a free kick, after he'd been booked for throwing the ball down the ground uh, very pettily, the referee gave Brazil another free kick and was trying to make a point to Neymar. And Neymar was saying, don't touch me, don't touch me. And this, you know, whatever you think of Neymar, you know, the whole celebrity that surrounds him, just on a basic pragmatic level. We know we've seen him get red cards in the past. We've seen him overheat in the past. It's not doing the team any favours. And I think he was probably fairly lucky to stay on the pitch. All right, well, what did help the team was uh, Chichi bringing uh, Firmino on. And that that seemed to make all the difference. And it certainly led to the uh, opening goal, which was, what what was it, in the 90th minute? Yeah, both goals coming in stoppage time. Right. And both changes uh, that he made, uh, making a real impact. Um, with, uh, I mean, it's a super attacking uh, team that they ended up with because you've got obviously Coutinho and uh, Firmino playing in midfield, and then you had Douglas Costa, Neymar, and Gabriel Jesus up front. So, I mean, that is an incredibly offensive lineup. And yeah, Firmino gets the knockdown. I think I think Gabriel Jesus did very well to actually hold off the defender to 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 
ensure there was still time for Coutinho to get that ball and score. And then, of course, Costa, um, who I thought otherwise, you know, he was running down blind alleys, lost the ball on a few occasions, but as he did so well for Juventus in the second half of last season, puts the ball in and Neymar's able to get his goal. And 96 minutes and 49 seconds that goal was timed at. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, you, we'll probably look back on that and you'll you'll check the record books and say 2-0 win for Brazil against Costa Rica does not tell this whole story about just how tense and how difficult a game that was for them. What's interested me after the game, though, was the sight of Neymar in tears. He can, he can put it down to a mixture of you know relief about how the game went, but also his long road back. But also the post-match comments. So Gabriel Jesus kind of called for Brazil's media. Oh, you know, you, you need to back us, show us support. Thiago Silva came out in defence of Neymar saying, oh, you, you know, you've all been hammer, hammering him. Uh, we can't fight the people with microphones other than with our performances, which I think is a bit bizarre because the coverage of Brazil in Brazil has been almost universally positive for months on end. They've, you know, to the extent that Tostão, the former Silesão player in his pre-tournament column, even voiced concerns that people were going overboard in their praise for the sizing. Oh, you know, we're not criticising anything. Everything seems to be fine. And yet you've got apparently developing a kind of uh, backs against the walls feeling within the squad, which I'm not sure is justified, which you know, would be a slight concern for these me. These parrots, these parrots talking. <laughs> yeah, that's, this was Neymar's post-match comments are, mm. even parrots can talk, Yeah, but I'm out there walking the walk. I think the, the biggest positive for Brazil, or one of the biggest positives, is the fact that Coutinho has emerged as a potential match winner. And we know that the big problem in 2014 was that when Neymar didn't do it, no one did. And I thought Neymar had a bit of a 2014 sort of game today. He seemed to be living through this very intense individual psychodrama. Someone put a video on Twitter of all the times that he told the referee to F off and then that very peculiar scene at the final whistle of him sitting on the pitch and weeping. And yes, on the one hand, he's come back from a three-month injury layoff. But on the other hand, it's a group game against Costa Rica. So you've got this very weird maelstrom of emotions swirling around Neymar. But thankfully, Coutinho now in two games, okay. His goal against Switzerland um, didn't win the game, but he was the guy who provided the breakthrough. And then again today against Costa Rica, when the ball drops in the box in the 91st minute, he's the guy who who goes in and uh, and scores. Um, and I think that's that's a big plus for Brazil. That you know while Neymar is easing himself back to top form and getting over this injury, they've got someone else who can decide games even when he's not at his best. It's going to be a fascinating finale to Group E. Because you'd expect Switzerland to go through, they'll be taking on Costa Rica, who are already out, and Serbia and Brazil will have effectively a playoff for the other spot in the last 16. Ooh. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Group D, everybody. Volgograd. Now, when we left things yesterday, it was with Argentina in tears, their World Cup dreams in tatters, the slim hope that maybe the fairly dismal-looking Nigeria could do something against the impressive Icelanders in Friday's game, and that would throw Argentina a lifeline. Lo and behold, Ahmed Musa. Jack, this is you this afternoon. Tough game for those of us who have repeatedly told anyone listening that Ahmed Musa is rubbish for five or six years. Yeah, guilty. Uh, I watched him a fair bit uh, for CSK Moscow and, to be honest, never struck me as much beyond 
a very, very quick human being. But fair play, he took those goals really well today. And the I, first, woof. Yeah, I mean, they were both excellent goals. The first one was an emphatic finish after, I think, the defender just went the wrong way. Ragnar Sigurdsson, he thought the ball was going past him. Musa controlled it before he knew but it was But the control happening. was fantastic. Mm. Uh, it was. But it wasn't an easy ball to... Goal, it starts mm. off with Nigeria defending in their own penalty area. And within, from a long throw-in. From a long <laughs> throw-in. From you know, the, the, the key Icelandic tactic. Nigeria break. Um, I think it was Ihianacho plays it out to Moses. He canters down into space on the right and crosses. And it, yeah, as you said, s- sublime first touch from Musa, who's mid-air, almost Burkamp-esque, if I'm not getting carried away with myself. Jack and then, you are. Oh, you are. <laughs> and then as the ball lands, hits it on the half volley, a really difficult ball to control, and slams it home, and then scores another cracker a few minutes later. Yeah. May oh. I play devil's advocate? Go on. And say that it was a fine goal. I don't think the first touch was all that, because the ball goes <gasps> above head height. Yeah, but the, the ball's coming in so high that he really... That's the thing, oh, it wasn't okay an easy stop. It's not You know, it got to where he wanted it to go. It's not, you know... Next it, time we play five-a-side, Jack, <laughs> I'm going to ping a ball at you at chest high and tell you to bring it down like Ahmed Musa. And then we'll, then we'll talk. Challenge <laughs> well, it, accepted. If you, were, if you were listening to yesterday's show, you recall Arno Adeoye of Yahoo Sports feeling a little bit pessimistic about Nigeria's chances. How did he react to this 2-0 win over Iceland? Let's find out. It was it was an emotional roller coaster, I must admit, because uh, I was down before our first game against Croatia, and yesterday I was incredibly pessimistic. But uh, as I said before the game, I was expecting our manager to change things around. Victor Moses played as a wing back, but we were slow and tepid in the first half. But in the second half, after I'm changed, Tyron Ebue came in. Within four minutes, we were ahead, thanks to Ahmed Musa, who seems to be having a great time at World Cups. And the interesting thing about Musa is he has had a tory time since joining Leicester. He lost his place as a regular starter in the Nigerian national team. He has not scored an international goal in 12 months. And now he came up with the goods as expected. And as pessimistic as I was yesterday, I'm very optimistic facing this incompetent Argentina side as we saw yesterday. Anu, speaking of Argentina, who've not been doing too well so far, you beat them in a friendly not too long ago. Can you do it again? Yes, why not? The 4-2 friendly win... Funny enough, it was in Russia. It was in Krasnodar in November. Uh, they were leading 2-0 at halftime, and then we came back 4-2. So the only difference then was there was no Messi. And judging by this World Cup, there has been no Messi either. So, I mean, why can't we do it? With the way the goal difference stands and all, a draw could be enough for us to go through. Unbelievable. Unbelievable this. Yes, yes, yes. So it's going to be a pretty interesting finish to Group D as well. Croatia on top currently with six points. Nigeria now in second place with three. Then Iceland and Argentina both on one point. So what did Mr. Raw do, Tom? Well, in a way, he heeded the fans. I don't, I'm not saying that he was actually taking advice from them, but I, I spoke to some Nigerian fans this week for a piece that I wrote, and there's been clamour for Nigeria to switch to a 3-5-2 system ever since they turned to it at half-time of the friendly against England at Wembley. And if we remember that game, England basically played them off the park in the first half, and then when Nigeria switched to a back three, they got on top uh, and actually played quite well, got back into the game with a goal from Alex Iwobi, and the fans who I was speaking to were saying, we think this is the best way to get the best out of this group of players and and that's what Gernot Rudd did for the game today 
Um, but slightly surprisingly, dropped Alex Awobi, which is a very bold call. I mean, he's he's I'd, I'd say probably Nigeria's most well-rounded attacking player. He was on the bench, didn't come on until uh, stoppage time. They played with Musa and Ihianacho up front, which is quite a natural partnership. You have the pace of Musa and you have the, the physicality and the technical skill of Ihianacho. Um, and Victor Moses was moved from the right wing role that he's been playing in of late for Nigeria to the sort of right wing back role where he plays for Chelsea. And I think he looked a lot better because he was just able to motor up and down, mm. completely boss that right flank on his own, set up the opening goal for Musa. Um, so I think you have to give Rua credit for, for taking the gamble. Um, of going to a three-five-two, dropping a key player in Iwobi, uh, and, and giving a chance to Musa that he took very emphatically. Didn't he though? Didn't he? So they need to beat Argentina. Paul McIntosh saying, "Are Nigeria capable of closing the game down and stifling Argentina, or is it going to be a thrilling all-or-nothing shootout?" Argentina, who. In the meantime, such was their faith in, in Nigeria, actually held a minute's silence on television today for their national team, Jack. Sports channel Tico, all the pundits standing around solemnly just saying nothing for a minute. Extraordinary scenes. Yes, very po-faced. And that was kind of replicated in a temporary but full-hearted support for Nigeria in this game. So the the website Ole had the main headline before the game was Do It For Us. I saw pictures of Lionel Messi photoshopped into that glorious uh, Nigeria shirt. So there was no doubt who the Argentinians were supporting here. But I think when the two sides face each other, I think it's going to be a harem, scarem uh, thrill. Like last time. Yeah, I think there's every chance of that because we're talking. Tom was talking about how Nigeria have found a system that works for them. It looks as though the early signs are that Jorge Sampaoli will, is just going to throw everything up in the air and change a lot of his side again. We've got no idea what Argentina are going to throw up and it could be anything. That game is coming up on Tuesday, the 26th of June, 7 o'clock British summer time. Make a date for that. Of course, you've got Argentina not making it out of, out of the group. Are you changing your mind about that, James? No, I think uh, you've got to be careful what you wish for in wanting Nigeria to win this game and produce a performance that few people thought they were capable of. As Tom said, they've just clicked. They seem to have found a system that works. Exactly what Argentina haven't done. Right. I think Nigeria will win. They've awakened the dragon. Yes. That's what's happened. I mean, okay. It could be a real classic. You've got great ingredients in it. On the one hand, you've got a very young Nigeria team who have found a way of playing and have got this great win, but still very raw mm. and have got a very a, a lot like of very manager, young, untested hey? players. Yeah, like their manager, yes, indeed. <laughs> and and then an, an Argentina team, you know, completely reeling from that defeat to Croatia, yeah. who've suddenly been given a chance at redemption, but who don't seem to know what they're doing when they're on the pitch together. Um, so it, it could be, yeah, it could be quite explosive. Could, could it be. also be revenge on the cards for Nigeria because we all know they've faced Argentina in multiple World Cups. I think I'm right in saying that Argentina have won them all by just a single goal. So Nigeria well overdue some World Cup joy against Argentina, I think. Wow, I cannot wait till next Tuesday at 7 o'clock, British summer time. Mm. By the way, Nigeria have a classic shirt and our pals at classicfootballshirts.co.uk are screening all the games from the World Cup on Saturday and Sunday night at The Box in Hackney, where they'll have a bar and a pop-up shop with all sorts of iconic and obscure designs. You can find out more at facebook.com slash classic football shirts. 
sun, sea, sand and football. Watching the World Cup on holiday sounds like paradise, until you try watching a game online and realise seconds before kickoff that it's blocked. Well, instead of bemoaning your decision to book a trip during a tournament that comes around once every four years, you need to get yourself a virtual private network from bestvpn.com and you'll be able to access the internet freely wherever you are this summer, all for less than the price of a pint. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get 70% off a VPN by visiting bestvpn.com slash podcast. Bestvpn.com will set you up with a VPN in minutes so you can watch the football from your deck chair or by the pool. And when it comes to security, bestvpn.com will also protect your internet activity from prying eyes on open Wi-Fi networks. No matter where you are in the world, you can access your online home comforts with a VPN. So unlock the internet today with bestvpn.com. Find out more and get 70% off by heading to bestvpn.com slash podcast. What's coming up on Saturday? Listener, I will tell you. First off, England's rivals Belgium face that Tunisia team that England narrowly beat last Monday. That's one o'clock at Spartak Stadium. Then we're off to Group F. Four o'clock, South Korea take on group leaders Mexico in Rostov. And then at seven, Germany try and bounce back from their Mexico defeat as they face Sweden at the Fish Stadium in Sochi. Let's find out more about those games beginning, of course, with Germany. They're just one defeat away from a humiliating exit from the World Cup. Beaten by Mexico in their opening game, outplayed and outsought all over the pitch. What's Yogi Love going to do? Well, producer Ben spoke to Rafa Honigstein to find out what he's expecting. I don't think we'll see wholesale changes. Löw came out in defence of his team saying that there was not the was not the right time and there was no reason to fundamentally break with the trust that he has in, in the spine of the side. But uh, Mats Hummels is unlikely to play. He injured his neck in training and will probably not recover. Um, he's still left open whether Mario Gomez will play up front in terms of in place of Timo Werner. I personally don't think he will. And I think Marco Royce is widely expected to come in in place of Julian Draxler to offer just a bit more oomph and pace up front because Germany's movement and their sort of lack of incision, I think, was the biggest issue going forward, uh, apart from all the other defensive issues we already talked about. Raf, as you say, there were many, many problems in that defeat by Mexico, but are the problems easily solved by these changes or is there something more endemically wrong with this vintage of the mineshaft? Uh, we will see just how deep rooted these problems are. Uh, Löw was very candid in his assessment. He said, he said nothing worked. Our game with the ball didn't work. Our game without the ball didn't work. There was a lack of dedication, a lack of commitment when it came to tracking back. The same perhaps lack of sharpness and focus made Germany's play very ponderous. And of course, they were exposed time and time again by Mexico's counter-attack. Now, I think Sweden, because of the different challenges that they will pose to Germany, will create different issues. Um, I think it will be about finding a way into the box without resorting to crosses, uh, which is something they'll just play into the hands of Sweden. And uh, Löw himself said, you know, if we do that, then Sweden will just say thank you. They, they love that. So Germany will have to sort of keep going, keep moving, um, and trying to find spaces in what will be a very deep, massed defense. And at the same time, be careful about the odd counterattack and certainly about dead ball situations. So it's a game of patience, and I think the mix has to be right between a bit of urgency and a bit of... Um, fast-paced, 
combination football, but not losing their heads and, and crumbling under considerable pressure. So all in all then, Raf, do you think they're going to do it tomorrow? I'm still hopeful that Germany will do it. I think there is enough quality in the team to overcome Sweden. But of course, they need a bit of luck, perhaps. They need the game to go in their favour. And the longer it will be uh, a clean sheet for Sweden, of course, the pressure will just rise and Sweden's confidence will, will grow with that. So Germany need, need to come through this and it'll be a good test just how strong they are, both as a, as a footballing team, but also in terms of their mentality. You can get more of Raphael Honigstein's thoughts at ESPN FC. Germany-Sweden then. Two most recent matches between these teams have produced a total of 16 goals. Ooh. 16 goals in two games. Of course, that famous 4-4 draw when mm. Germany were 4-0 up and then Sweden came back in the second half. Crazy. But then Germany followed that up by beating the Swedes 5-3 in Sweden in qualifying for 2014's World Cup. When Germany huh. was still good. I think yeah. there might be a lot of goals in this. I know we've got accustomed to Sweden keeping things tight, mm. but their plans for this game have been affected by a, a serious bug running through the team Ooh. where a number of their defenders uh, are going to be out. So, oh. yeah, I think that's that's obviously not the best way to go into this game. Definitely not. So, Didn't Mexico also have a bug before their game against Germany? That's Ooh. true. An ongoing bug, I believe. In, in Mexico did news. lots of things before their Germany. Yeah, Mexico had okay. the <laughs> they had the sex party, allegedly, and the flu. Yes, yeah. and the flu, and the flu. If, um, if you're expecting a goal fest, I'm not sure who's going to do the goal scoring for Sweden because they they don't do goals. That one that they managed against South Korea, which was from the penalty spot, that was their first in 402 minutes of international football. As for Germany, remember this stat about three of the last four World Cup winners have gone out. If the subsequent tournament in the group stage, it could happen, Tom. Because these problems, are they didn't just come about in the Mexico game. No, I mean, as you were saying, their, their form going into the tournament was, was really poor. And I think we all said to ourselves, well, it doesn't really matter because they're only friendly games. We know Germany are good. We saw what they did at the last World Cup. We saw what they did in qualifying. We saw what their reserves did at the Confederations Cup. They'll be fine. And then the competition comes around and they're caught totally cold by Mexico. Um, and... This is something we've seen in, in recent World Cups, uh, the defending champions struggling to get out of the group phase. That's probably no coincidence. I think what happens with teams that win World Cups is because of the, the status that those players acquire, um, signs of of perhaps rot, too strong a word, but you, you a wouldn't... A fall off in form. Yeah, would not be picked up on as much because these guys are the world champions. Yeah. And who saw what happened to Spain in 2014 coming four years on from them winning the World Cup? And yet they were out after two matches. Mm. Um, and, and Germany now find themselves in a very similar predicament in that they've been completely played off the park. I mean, it's only 1-0. It could quite easily have been 3 or 4. They just weren't at the races and there have been crisis talks in the camp. I mean, Manuel Neuer said, you know, that the players have never used such strong words uh, to each other. All sorts of, you know, conversations going on behind the scenes to try and, you know, try and pull themselves out of this slump. And uh, from what Rafa said and, and from what... Um, Yogi Love said in his press conference today, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any sort of revolution well, yeah, in terms that of personnel me. or tactics. Well, I, I think, I think, I think what Yogi Love is Kadira, saying is that, for example, and, and Cruz were left behind by by the Mexicans. I mean, I suspect that if anyone drops out, I think Kadir is probably a good candidate in that he was completely overrun by Mexico. Um, but I think what what Yogi Love was saying was that. I, I trust these players. This is the way that we have always played over the last few years. 
Mexico was a blip. We, you know, I trust the players to to carry on carry on doing what they've been doing in recent years. So, looks like there's probably going to be a couple of changes. But in terms of the tactics, I, I don't think too much will change. I think what Yogi Love wants to see is just more application um, and and a response to that that massive shock against Mexico. Uh, Kadir was really interesting yesterday. He was saying that um, they watched eight Mexico games before their World Cup opener. Uh, they had the under twenties play like Mexico. Um, so that their preparation was impeccable. Uh, but Mexico played completely differently to how they'd seen them play in their sort of uh, analysis. And on the field, it wasn't so much just Yogi Love, but on the field, the players couldn't react and couldn't find a solution to the, the problems that they were being faced with at the time. There was none of the kind of leadership that you might have seen in Germany sides uh, past, where you have Schweinsteiger or Philipp Lahm, who can all of a sudden talk and say we need to do this we need to do that there were no players going over to Yogi Love for example to say what do we need to do here and the changes were like so you know I think the takeaway for that was Sweden whatever you've been doing for the last few months don't do that do something completely different and you might surprise Germany and get something out of this game Germany's a bounce back with a win yes probably yes Jack definitely yes okay also in this group by the way South Korea are taking on Mexico South Korea, who we've raised the issue of them being pelted with toffees on their return from the 2014 World Cup. Uh, Listener Phil Kim in Korea writes in to explain the origins of that insult. As a food product, it's quite popular, says Phil. But as a way of insult, it's the equivalent to throwing up the middle finger. The expression originates from 1964. There was a middle school entrance exam question that asked for the ingredients of making toffee, of course. The question incorrectly featured two accurate answers. The students that chose the correct answer but were penalised were denied acceptance. In protest, the students made toffee with the alternative correct answer and threw it at the student board. And it's gained unnecessary venom and now stands to me and goes, screw yourself. Fantastic. Isn't that amazing? It's a sensational detail. Yeah. Thanks, Phil Kim. Wow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, South Korea are taking on... Mexico, Mexico, who of course are the architects of the whole German crisis. I wonder what they'll get thrown at them if they go out early. Anyway, to hear a little bit more about how Mexico are feeling, El Tri, going into this big clash uh, with South Korea, uh, we spoke to our friend, host of the excellent We Came to Win podcast on Gimlet, Nando Villa in Los Angeles. Nando, first of all, can we just go back to the Germany game, if you don't mind? Uh, was it true all this business of there being seismic shocks in Mexico City? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, I mean, uh, reportedly the, the the goal celebrations caused a small seismic shock in in Mexico. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, apparently Juan Carlos Osorio, the Mexican coach, recruited the help of a, of a Mexican university to help prepare for Germany, compiling a massive database of all kinds of statistics, and uh, uh, and it showed um, it was a it was an unbelievable performance and probably the best tactical game plan we've seen at the World Cup. It's a long time since we've seen anyone dismantle the the Germans in that fashion. Is he a little bit more popular now, Osorio, with the Mexican fans? <laughs> yeah, I was talking to uh, my friend Leon Krause and he was telling me, um, you know, because he he's questioned him a lot uh, in the past couple of years, um, and he was like, "Listen, man." That was the greatest victory in the history of Mexican football in the World Cup. So all is forgiven. At the same time, given the amount that he tends to change his team, is there a fear that he's not going to leave well alone for the next game? 
Oh, I, there is no, there's no doubt about it. He's never, he's never repeated a lineup in his time as the Mexican coach. Um, look for a, a probably three to four changes uh, in the lineup. You might see uh, Carlos Vela drop for uh, Tecatito uh, Corona, or you might see Layun drop for someone like uh, Jonathan Dos Santos. I guess the Mexicans would be assuming that they're not going to be as playing as much of a counterattacking style against South Korea. They might want to hold the ball more, expecting um, South Korea to sit deep. So they're looking for players who are better in tight spaces rather than in the in the open field. Nando, top of the group should mean you'd avoid the likes of Brazil in the last 16. And then who knows, maybe Mexico would finally make it to the quinto partido. That's the Mexican sort of mental barriers. Can they get to the quinto partido? Uh, you know, they, they always seem to qualify uh, out of the group. They've done it, you know, in the past several World Cups going back to 1994. Uh, but they always seem to lose in the round of 16 in sometimes unbelievable circumstances. Uh, you know, famous one, the, the Holland one were with the Robin penalty at the end. But even they, I mean, they, they were close against Germany in 1998. They lost against Bulgaria in 1994. They lost against the United States in 2002. So, yeah, the quinto partido, it's kind of like a mental barrier. And every year the, the hopes get built up because they, they usually do quite well in the group. Nando Villa there, host of We Came to Win, which you can find on Gimlet. Mexico behind Sweden, I'm not sure on what criteria. Basically, Sweden and Mexico both on three points, same goal difference. Germany and Korea both on nil point currently. Well, which is surprising, ha. Huh? But this, a game that you would imagine, Jack, Mexico should be able to add another fat three points to their tally, no? Yes, I would think so. South Korea didn't impress me a great deal against Sweden. I thought they looked fairly ordinary in possession. They defended as many teams have this World Cup, in great numbers and with some determination, but didn't really have much spark. I don't think they had a shot on target in that game. It looks like they're going to change things up a little bit. Uh, there's rumours of a uh, switch to a 4-4-2 with Tottenham's Son Heung-min, accompanied in attack by the man formerly known as the Korean Messi. Oh, yeah, who's that? Lee Sung-woo, oh, yeah. who maybe James can tell us a bit about because I think he's been at Verona, hasn't he? Yeah, he hasn't really done much and they've gone down. But they signed him from, uh, I think he's got that name because they signed him from Barcelona. Nice, nice. All right, now, before any of that happens, in Group G, there's the early game, which features, of course, Belgium taking on Tunisia. That's at Spartak Stadium. Belgium coming off a fat 3-0 win over Panama. Dries Mertens with that spectacular opener. And then two from Lukaku. Interesting, the comments from uh, Eden Hazard. Did you see this, where he says that he basically gave Lukaku a bit of a telling off at half-time. It's not easy playing with a man missing, Hazard said, of Lukaku. At half-time, I told him we needed him. He'd been hiding out a bit up front. But once he got in there involved in the game like Magic, he scored too. I hope he understands that now. That's nice of Eden. Spell it out for, for Romelu like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're very self-critical, aren't they, the, the, the Belgians? We, we saw that um, in the friendly with, with Mexico, where Kevin De Bruyne basically decided he was going to tell Roberto Martinez mm. how to coach this team. So they, full, they have full and frank conversations uh, in that dressing room. Today, Roberto Martinez gave a press conference and he said to the Belgian press, I'm sorry we're being so boring. You're expecting us to fall out and squabble with each other, and oh. we haven't, so I'm sorry you haven't got any headlines. But actually, as James was saying, if, if you look a little bit deeper, you have these curious incidents like Kevin De Bruyne taking out Adnan Yanazai in a training session and walking away without apologising. Um, you have that slightly peculiar thing, and as I said about Romelu Lukaku, uh, you had Jan Vertonghen having a big go at Yannick Carrasco uh, during the last game. So th there's clearly... 
a little bit of, of, of tension there. Yeah. I'm not saying that there's anything you know more than that, but you've clearly got a lot of big characters in this team who aren't afraid to speak their mind to each other. Yeah, you'll have Roberto Martinez in a sumo suit soon at the press conference. Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, that'd be brilliant. All right, uh, Tunisia haven't won a World Cup game in 40 years, Jack. Will that change on Saturday? I wouldn't have thought so. They're probably going to consider a fairly defensive approach given the extent to which they frustrated England in the second half. They left Can themselves... they afford to be defensive, though, with no points so far? Well, I think they will try and ease themselves into it. I think they were probably taken aback by just how open they were against England, how many chances they seeded in that game. And I don't think they'll be making that mistake again. The uh, the striker turned uh, ancillary right back, Fakhreddin Ben Yusuf, today said uh, they need to strike a balance. I think there's recognition there that at some point they will need to show a little bit more attacking ambition than the, well, zero attacking ambition they showed in the second half against England. I would question whether they have the ability to do that. And I think the more they come out, for example, if it stays nil-nil for yeah. for the first half, if they come out, I think Belgium would absolutely lap that, that up because they're, they're dying for some space to work into. Are they? Okay. Fakhreddin Ben Youssef, who tactical reviews that I, I looked at, suggested could be key in that he might be able to attack that space that Carrasco, who's not a particularly good left back, may well leave. But hey, we'll find out anyway on Saturday. Let's get some odds now on the day 10 fixtures. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. I'm here with Lee Price as usual. Lee, we're looking ahead to Saturday's games. It kicks off with Belgium versus Tunisia. Um, what do you make of this one? Uh, Belgium, despite everything, are huge favourites for this one. They're two to seven to win the fixture. Tunisia, lengthy price at nine to one, nine to two. The draw, I guess, for England's benefits, a Belgium defeat would help. Um, but we might need to focus on our own results. The rest of the action involves Germany's group. They're taking on Sweden in the evening game. They've really got a win here after getting done by Mexico. Are they going to do it? This could be the story of the World Cup right here, couldn't it? Uh, beaten by Mexico, Sweden weren't exactly superb in South Korea, but have got three points. If Germany failed to win this one, massive news. We don't think they will, though. They're 4-11 to to win this fixture. Sweden, the lengthy 8-1, and the draw is 10-3. Joachim needs to bring some love into his team. Lovely. Uh, We really like the look of Mexico. They're going to take on South Korea, who looked, as you say, pretty weak. Um, Chucky and uh, little P, Chikorito, to do something here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Mexico are very exciting going forward. Chikorito and Herbing Lozano, uh, quite a double act. Their odds on to win this picture, which won't surprise you. They're four to nine to win the match. Uh, South Korea seven to one, eleven to four the draw. Hernandez to score any time is odds on at eight to eleven. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's eighteen plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. By the way, if you'd like to send us a question or a comment, at the Totally Show is the place to do it on Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook where there's. As you know, videos, quizzes, competitions and that kind of thing. We'll be back with you after the final whistle of the last of Saturday's games. So hopefully you'll be joining us for that. For now, I say thank you very much, Tom Williams, for joining us today. A pleasure, as ever. Jack Lang, merci beaucoup. De rien. And grazie mille, James Horncastle. Cedica. Above all you, listener, have a terrific Saturday. We'll catch you after. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free.
Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.